0: Morning. I'll tell you what, nothing gets you amped up to preach like worship like that. So uh, thank you worship team for leading us this morning. Uh, today is a special day uh, here at River City. We get to honor two of our students uh, who have graduated high school uh, just recently. And um, uh, my name is Andy Stan. I'm the student pastor here at River City. So it's my privilege to get to, um, to present them with graduating gifts today. And uh, so, if y'all, Annalise and Emma and uh, parents, y'all can go ahead and walk up here and um, we'll share a few words. So, I've been the student pastor for really only about 10 months uh, back in August. And I haven't really had the opportunity to uh, watch these two young women grow up as children, uh, but it has been my honor and privilege. Uh, to witness the kind of women that God has made you, you two out to be. And um, uh, since I've known you, I have been both impressed and encouraged and inspired uh, and convicted by the faith and wisdom that you have demonstrated to your peers, the teenagers that are younger than you. And uh, it has been a, a privilege and an honor of mine uh, to get to be a part of... Uh, your life in this small way. Um, Enough for me though, let's hear from some folks that know you a little bit better. Your parents have uh, a few words that um, they wanted me to share this morning. Starting with you Annalise, it's uh, the burden of coming first in the alphabet. (laughs) Annalise Rose Fisher is the oldest of three children, of Aaron and Anna Fisher. Annalise made a profession of faith at the age of five, Annalise is graduating or has graduated from Covenant School of Jacksonville this past Friday where she attended for two years. Prior to attending Covenant, she attended Lancaster Baptist School in California for nine years and Morgantown Christian Academy in Morgantown, West Virginia for one year and was homeschooled for kindergarten. Annalise has been involved in several sports at the last two schools that she has attended. She played volleyball and basketball rather aggressively, I might add. Uh, defying the doctors telling her she would never be able to play sports. She also participated in ensembles and choir for the past five years. She has served in the nursery and the coffee shop at River City since joining in 2021, and has, from my opinion, been an inspiration to the youth uh, as a part of the group. This fall, Annalise is attending Pensacola Christian College, where she plans to pursue a career in the nursing program. Annalise, we are so proud of you. You make our life exciting and interesting every single day. We thank God for the tender heart, the protection, and the loyalty you show your siblings and your thoughtfulness and compassion you show towards others. We love you and pray that you stay true to your faith and always remember that you are braver than you believe, stronger than you seem, smarter than you think, and loved more than you know. Proverbs 3.6 says, And all your ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct your paths. Emma Claire Yarbrough, the burden coming at the end of the alphabet. I know how that feels. Is the oldest of five daughters of Kendall and Sarah Yarbrough. Emma made a profession of faith at five and got assurance of her salvation where she was nine. Emma is graduating from the Covenant School of Jacksonville, where she has attended for two years. Prior to attending Covenant, she was homeschooled for several years in addition to attending Central Baptist School in Memphis, Tennessee, where her family lived before moving to Jacksonville in 2020. Emma has been very involved with her school. She has served as president of the Student Council and president of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes this last year. Emma participated in volleyball, soccer, drama, and choir. This year, her peers and the staff and faculty voted her as Miss Covenant at homecoming and she made the All-A Honor Roll and had the highest grade in multiple classes this year. Emma loves music. She has served on the worship team at River City for the past two years and also sang on the worship team at Covenant. And this fall, Emma will attend Jacksonville University, where she plans to pursue a career as a physical therapist. She has been awarded the Merit Scholarship and has been admitted into the Honors Program at JU. Emma, we are extremely proud of you. It has been a joy and privilege to be your parents these last 17 years. We truly see a heart for the Lord in you, and we pray that you will remain faithful to him as you continue in life. We love you. Um, I will add here at the end that um, you may not know it, but you both have had a huge impact on the youth group. Uh, I know I am uh, different just from knowing you, and I know that the rest of the group is different from knowing you as well. Um, So the church has uh, a couple gifts that we want to present to you. Um, So my wife Melody is going to bring those up. And then um, Melody stay up here and what we're going to do now is your parents and and pastors, we're going to pray over you guys as you enter into this next phase of your life. And then this will be over. (laughs) Father God, we love you, and I thank you um, first for these parents. Uh, I thank you that you gave them the conviction to be faithful to one another uh, and to be faithful to their family and to their kids. I pray that you. I thankful. I'm thankful that you gave them the conviction to be um, to pour into their children, all, all of them. Uh, as they grew up and came to understand uh, what sin is and the impact of sin and uh, who Jesus is and what he can do for them. And uh, I just pray for both Annalise and Emma that as they go into this next stage of life, as they uh, move out and they get into this um, season where they more and more are making decisions on their own, um, that they will seek your wisdom in every single one, even the little ones. And I pray that they will put you first before everything. Uh, And I uh, pray that you will continue. uh, You've done a a marvelous work in both of their lives, and I just pray that you will continue to work through them and use them in marvelous ways uh, for your kingdom uh, and for spreading the gospel. We love you. It's in your name, Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's uh, congratulate our seniors for their accomplishments this morning. So I I know what you may be wondering, where is Brother Sam's? Um, So Brother Sam's wasn't able to be here today. He was on a ministry trip in New England over the weekend and was supposed to arrive last night. Uh, But New England had uh, pretty poor weather up there um, this weekend and he had not one, uh, but two flights delayed and uh, so he uh, asked me to uh, fill in for him this morning. So, um, Looking back on everything that's transpired over the last uh, 36 hours, I I can say I'm thankful for the providence of God because God knew that this was going to happen. He knew that these flights were going to get delayed and that Brian wasn't going to be able to make it back. And he gave me, he gifted me with time to uh, prepare for this morning. Uh, So with that, um, let's open our Bibles to the book of Obadiah, um, one of the minor Old Testaments. Uh, We're continuing in that study. And um, I want to add, I want to say a minute about the kind of example that Annalise and Emma are leaving behind, they, what they have demonstrated to the students that are younger than them is what it looks like to humble yourself before the Lord and to exalt His name rather than their name. When you do that, God will then exalt you, and He will do incredible, marvelous works through your life. Uh, and They left that example for, their, for, for the teens that come behind them. Uh, our message today is what happens when you don't do that. Uh, is what happens when you exalt yourself over God and when you exalt yourself above others and don't humble yourself. Luke chapter 14:11 uh Jesus is speaking he says that everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And at the end of the cer- at the end of the message today we're going to have an opportunity to humble ourselves before God. So as, you, as we walk through the scripture this morning, I ask you to open your ears and open your hearts and really listen to what God is saying in this message and how it needs to be applied to your life because I promise you everybody in some degree needs to apply it to their life. And then at the end of the message, we'll have an opportunity to do just that. Not even God himself could sink this ship an employee of the White Star Line said at the launch of the Titanic on April or May 31st, 1911. When the British ship Titanic steamed out of bound for New York on April 10th, 1912, it was the largest and most sumptuous luxury liner that had ever sailed. It was a monument to the praise or to the promise of technology and the Victorian elegance, magnificently appointed with oriental carpets and cr- crystal chandeliers. It was thought to be unsinkable. The 882 foot long Titanic steamed from Queenstown, Ireland on April 11th toward New York, carrying more than 2,200 passengers and crew, more than 130,000 pounds of meat and fish, 1,750 pounds of ice cream, and of all things, 400 asparagus tongs, but only 20 of the 32 lifeboats designed to be on board. The ship ignored more than 30 different ice warnings, and at 11.40 p.m. on April 14th, the Titanic hit an iceberg and stalled. At 2.20 a.m., just a few hours later, it sank to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. We all know this story. Uh, It's a classic, but it's a perfect example of the title of today's message, which is When Pride Goes Before a Fall. And our main text comes from Obadiah, verses 1 through 3. Normally I might say Obadiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, but Obadiah is only one chapter, so it's Obadiah verses 1 through 3. And it says this, "...the vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord of God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger is sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle." Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling. Who, say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Let's pray. Father God, we love you, and... um, as we sit here t- this morning worshiping in your name and studying and hearing your word, uh, I lift up Brother Sams uh, as he uh, is um, struggling to get home today. I pray that you give him safe passage. I pray that uh, you also put people in his place that need to hear the gospel and that you um, give him the spirit and the power to share the gospel and that people will come, will become saved and come to know you through... Um, Saving faith in Jesus Christ as a as a testament of His witness to them, and um, I just pray that you will empty me of myself, uh, fill me with Your Spirit, uh, and let Your words flow through me into everyone here. And I pray that you will open our hearts so that we can know how to uh, change, to look, to to grow more into Your likeness uh, this morning. So in Your name I pray, Amen. So. The book of Obadiah is all about, uh, again, a, a prophet bringing a message against a nation who is defied God, who is in rebellion against God. This nation is Edom. Uh, and as we, if you read through the whole uh, book, you will see that there is this struggle that's going on. But I think we first got to ask who is Edom uh, and what is this struggle? Well, this struggle began. Uh, back in the womb of a mother who was carrying two twin brothers who were named Esau and Jacob. And over time, this struggle escalates into a battle or struggle between their respective descendants, the Edomites and the Israelites. The Edomites can trace their origin, of course, back to Esau. We know this because he's the firstborn twin son of Isaac and Rebekah who struggled with Jacob even while in the womb, as Genesis chapter 25 verse. 22 says. His name means hairy because as Genesis 25, 25 says, he was like a hairy garment all over. He's also called Edom, which means red, owing the sale of his birthright in exchange for some red stew. We know that story from Genesis chapter 25, verse 30. Later in life, he shows disregard for the covenant promises by marrying two Canaanite women. And then later, the daughter of Ishmael. Those stories come from Genesis chapters 26 and 28. And he, like any good man should, loves the outdoors. I know I do. But after having his father's blessing stolen from him by Jacob, he he was destined to remain a man of the as Genesis chapters 25 and 27 tell us. Later on, after he is uh, sent out, he settles in a region mostly... Uh, that consists of rugged mountains somewhere south of the Dead Sea. And this area becomes called Edom, and the Greek is Edumea I'll probably pronounce that wrong, but that's okay. Uh, this area is 40 miles wide, uh, which stretches approximately 100 miles south to the Gulf of Aqaba. The fabled King's Highway, an essential caravan route, linking North Africa with Europe and Asia, passes along the eastern plateau of this area. And this struggle between Jacob, Esau, at their, at their birth, ultimately formed the background to the prophecy that is given in Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, that says, two nations are in your womb. Their respective descendants, Israel and Edom, were perpetual enemies. When Israel came out from Egypt, you might remember the story that they sought to have passage, safe passage through the land of Edom. But Edom, their brother, denied their brother Jacob to go through their land. Nevertheless, Israel was instructed by God to be kind to Edom in response. Uh, Obadiah, having received this vision from God, is then sent to describe their crimes and to pronounce total destruction upon Edom because of their treatment of Israel. And so from... 2 Kings chapter 14 and 2 Chronicles chapter 28, we see that ongoing disputes ensue and they uh, pretty much don't stop until Edom is eventually wiped out. So that's all very interesting stuff, but what can we learn from this story of Edom? Well, pride is a dangerous sin. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 12 says that the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. James 4, 6 says that he gives us grace, and that is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Proverbs eleven two 2 says, When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Proverbs 16, 5 says that the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Just read that again. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. And be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Proverbs 26 verse 12 says that "That if you see a wise person in their own eyes there is more hope for them than a fool. We can be certain that pride is the number one problem in relationships today and probably in all of history. Uh, It was pride that changed an angel into the devil. It was pride that caused Adam and Eve to disobey God and it is Uh, an avenue, if not the avenue, to temptation to sin. And the nation of Edom, which eventually disappears in history, remains one of the prime examples of the truth that's found in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, that says, pride goes before destruction. And there's, of course, a few things that we can learn from the story of Edom and the prophecy that Obadiah brings against them. In verses 1 through 9... We learn that pride has a deceptive nature. Proverbs 16, 5 says that everybody who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And that a high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proverbs, that comes from Proverbs 21, verse 4. Our main problem is found in verse 3 of Obadiah. Where it says that the pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? So what is pride? I mean, that's a simple, basic word, I think. But I think sometimes words get so common in our language and uh, the way we speak that we forget what they mean. The American Collegiate Dictionary defines pride as a high or inordinate opinion of one's own dignity Importance, merit, or superiority. We use terms like egotistical, arrogant, selfish, vain, conceited, boastful, and big-headed. One Baptist pastor once said that pride is arrogant self-worship. It is the sin of exalting oneself and placing one's own interest above the interests of others. Pride craves admiration and adoration and will not share the, the limelight. Pride deludes its victims into believing they have no peers and drives them to try to destroy anyone who takes recognition from them. The proud are in love with themselves and seek to call attention to their admirable qualities. Pride says that it's all about me. Pride is, is the worship of me, myself, and I. And In understanding the deceptive nature of pride, we can also see that pride can make you delusional about a few things. It can make you delusional about your position. Think about how verse 3 says that the pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock in your lofty dwelling. Uh, So, to give you some some context, the Edomites lived in, again, this mountainous region, right? It's it's very high, uh, it's deeply secure, it's a defensible position. They have, uh, as Obi-Wan Kenobi once said to Anakin Skywalker, they have the high ground. And they stand on their high ground saying, don't try it. No one could get to them or take them down, or so they thought. But here's the thing about pride. No matter how high your pride makes you think you are, God is always higher, and God will always bring you down from where you are. We also see that pride can make you delusional about your connections. We see that in verses 6 through 7. It says, Esau has been pillaged. His treasures have been sought out. All of your allies have driven you from to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat bread have set a trap beneath you. We see a little bit of this coming to fruition in Second Chronicles chapter 20 verse one, where it says uh, that after this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them, some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle, and some men came and told Jehoshaphat that a great multitude is coming against you from Edom from beyond the sea. So uh, the, the idea is, in, in their arrogant pride, uh, they have this high, protected, secure place in the mountains, right? And they think that because of their power, they have allies all around them. And their, the, their, their source of security in their allies Comes because they think they're stronger than everybody else and so they submit to them. But what they don't know, uh, and this is what we're talking about uh, pride deceiving you, what they don't know is that all of these supposed allies are, are actually plotting against them underneath their noses. Pride can also make you in, uh, delusional about your intellect. As it says in verse 8, God says, Well, not I on that day, declares the Lord. Destroy the wise men out of Edom and understanding out of Mount Esau. It's funny how uh, the more we learn about our world and the more we learn about our universe and the wiser and the smarter we think we are, it's funny how the more we grow in that, uh, the more we actually reject God. And what's ironic about that is where does wisdom come from? It comes from God. God is the only source of wisdom. And so the God, I mean, God is the source of wisdom. He is the source uh, uh, that, that gave Solomon so much wisdom that he was the most powerful and popular and prestigious king of his day. Yet this God gives his wisdom to us to teach us about the world that he created. And in our arrogance, we attribute that wisdom to ourselves and cast God off as a fairy tale. We also see next from verse 9 that your pride can make you delusional about your strength. It says, And your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Taman, so that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by slaughter. So Obadiah makes this reference of a a place called Taman. What is that? Well, that's a large, prominent city uh, in the nation of Edom. It might be equivalent to... New York or Washington, D.C. or L.A. or something like that for the United States. Uh, And within this uh, strong nation that's secure high up in the mountains, there is this large city. Funny how large cities get this bloated view of themselves. Um, But there's this large city within this delusionally strong nation. And within that large city, they have these strong men. And you would think that um, that kind of reputation would be Uh, impossible to overcome. But God says here uh, through Obadiah that those men I will send to slaughter. What he's basically showing us, what God is saying to Edom through Obadiah is that Edom, despite their arrogance and their pride, is neither strong enough, uh, connected enough, we're smart enough to defeat God you think your pride is helping you but it's really deceiving you now if we were to take pride and maybe make it a person it might say something like this hi my name is pride I'm a cheater I cheat you of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you are too full of you to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit when you are wrong. I cheat you of vision because you would rather look in the mirror than out a window. I cheat you of jittery because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to serve others on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I, am, I have convinced you to seek your own. Hi, my name is Pride. I'm a cheater. You like me because you think I'm always looking out for you. Untrue. I am looking to make a fool of you. God has so much for you. I'll admit this, but don't you worry. If you stick with me, you'll never know. Pride has a deceptive nature, pride also has a destructive nature. We learned this from verses 10 through 16. Uh, From your New King James Version, that passage or that verse starts off with the word for. For the violence that you have done to your brother Jacob. That word for is a transition word. It basically says that because of the violence that you have done to your brother Jacob, this is what I'm about to bring to you. Because of their pride and their arrogance, Edom is continually in quarrel with Israel. Israel, of course, had the direction from God to treat them kindly right? Um, But Edom didn't reciprocate. That um, They were in constant quarrel. You see, kindness requires humility, and Edom had none, and so they were constantly fighting against Israel. But verse 10 also shows us that pride brings shame, ultimately. Notice how it says, because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. This prophecy ultimately was fulfilled for Edom. They were cut off. They no longer exist. God makes it obvious throughout the Bible that He abhors pride and He will humble the proud. Whether it's bringing you to your knees here in this life or sentencing you to eternal hellfire in the next life, there is a humbling coming. But here's the great part. Jesus was already humbled for your sake. Jesus was already shamed for your sake. If you follow Him, then the humbling is taken on by Him, and you are spared. The thing that scares me the most about the thought of eternal hellfire isn't really the heat. I mean, I live in Florida, heat doesn't scare me. The thing that scares me is knowing that my relationship with Christ, my relationship with my Savior, my relationship with God, my Creator, will never be restored. It will never be fixed. I will always be separated from Him if that's the direction that I take. It's like a child that gets lost from their parents. They get separated from their parents, maybe because they don't want to do what their parent says, and they say, Parents say, let's go this way, child goes that way in a big crowd. Who knows? Um, In the best scenario, that child's found. Everything's great. But what we're talking about here is as if that child is never found and they are forever separated from their parents, suffering from all the things that are going to come as a part of that. It's eternal suffering because of the separation from God, our Creator. That, to me, is far worse than the heat of hell. In verse 11, we see... pride also makes you calloused. It says, on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that the strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. If you notice, if you read through this book, you're going to notice that Obadiah never lets go of this brotherly bond that should exist between Israel and Edom. I mean, it, it once existed between Jacob and Esau. They eventually re- but somehow that reconciliation didn't carry on to their descendants and that feud continued. I mean, siblings fight. I, I get that. It's a thing. I, I'll dare say that I don't think Jacob and Esau ever had anything on the way my two sons, Jameson and Jeremiah, fight with each other. I mean, it, it gets. It gets so intense that there are some days that it just seems like, man, they really hate each other. That's not anything new to me. I grew up with five sisters. Kendall, you know what I'm talking about. He's raising five girls. I grew up with five girls. And if if Jacob and Esau can fight and Jameson and Jeremiah can fight better, there's there's no one that fights better than a group of girls, especially sisters. But here's the deal with that, at least it was with my family. When we were growing up, if you messed with one of the stants, you were messing with all of them. If you bullied one of them, you had a whole gang of stants coming after you. There were six of us. And you had all of us coming after you. And that's really what ultimately a sibling relationship should be like. Yeah, we fight with each other because we love each other, but in our time of need, we're there to rescue and support each other. That's the way it was with my family. That's the way it is with my boys. I've seen it. If you come against Jeremiah, you're going to have to deal with Jameson. Well, let me back up with that. If you come against my son Jeremiah, you'll deal with me first, and then you'll, Jameson will get what's left of you. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But that relationship did not exist between the descendants of Jacob and Esau. When the foreign nations pillaged and plundered Jerusalem and took them into captivity, Edom just sat and watched, uncaring. I when mean, it's as if some guy was trying to take advantage of one of my sisters, and I just said, go ahead, man, I don't care. How cold is that? How callous is that? In Jacob's time of need, Esau just sat there and watched and did nothing. Pride makes you callous. It makes you harden your heart like Pharaoh hardened his with Moses. Pride also makes you take advantage of others. Verse 12-14 through says, Do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads and cut off his fugitives as they try to escape. Do not stand, do not hand over his survivors during their distress. You see, the uh, the calamity of others, the suffering of other people, when pride has a grip on our heart, it can cause us to serve our own sordid desires, and we end up rejoicing in the destruction and the distress of others, rather than um, coming to their aid and rescue. This was one of Jesus' greatest criticisms of the Pharisees, was over this very thing. The Pharisees used their positions of authority, not for advancing the kingdom of God, but for their own power, to, to, for their own benefit, to, to, to increase their own strength and control. What amazes me is that this same kind of Pharisaical legalism still exists today. And it's mind blowing when I hear about it that there are people out there who can't see that the woes that Jesus proclaims against the Pharisees, he's actually proclaiming against them as well in modern day. There's comfort in all of this, though. We can rejoice. The rest of this book tells us that we can rejoice that God always sees and deals with the mistreatment of others. He is always just. At the end, justice is always served. We can also rejoice that God is sovereign. What that means is that nothing is out of his control. It's sometimes difficult to remember that God is over all nations, not just his people. And I'll talk about this a little bit more at the end. But his lordship is over everything that is. And finally, we see that pride has a definite end. Starting in verse 17, we see a sharp contrast of the language that has been given so far. Everything leading up to this point is God dealing with the Edomites and their uh, pride and corruption. And now, it shifts and is going to talk about what God is going to do for His people. Again, another one of those transition words, but... But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy, and the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. So those of you who follow Jesus will experience God's deliverance ultimately. Notice how verse 17 says they'll possess their possessions. If you follow Jesus, then God has given you much more than what you previously had. The riches of this world, I can tell you, are nothing in comparison uh, to the heavenly riches that await you. We haven't accessed all of that right now, right? But we possess it. It's there. It's waiting for us. Verse 18 shows us that Edomite or Edom ultimately falls. They're wiped out. And this is both a historical account and a prophecy against all of those in our modern day who oppose Christ. Your day of judgment. If you stand here and oppose Christ today... Your day of judgment is coming. And the verdict is not favorable. We also see in verses 19 through 20 that those who follow Jesus will ultimately enter God's promised land. In this account, it gives a visual of how God's people, or those who follow Him, have the reward of entering the land that He has promised to them. In that account, it was the land of Canaan, the mount of Esau, the land of the Philistines, Samaria, and Gilead, and the cities of the Negeb just like with the edomites this is both a historical account and a prophecy for us today follow jesus and you are promised entry into heaven god's paradise but don't let that decision to follow jesus be all about the destination make sure that it is about christ and that you and it's about your restored relationship with your creator because without christ there is no heaven At the beginning I said, Luke 14, verse 11, Jesus says, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Here's the thing. There's no more rightful than saying that you don't need God. That you don't need Jesus. There's nothing more prideful than saying I don't need him in my life. I don't need him in my eternity, if there even is one. I don't believe in him. I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe who he is, who he says he is. I don't need it. I don't even believe it. Any of that. Do you know what you're doing when you talk like that? You're exalting yourself. You're lifting yourself above God. When you say I don't need God, I don't need Jesus, you're lifting yourself above God... And God calls that an abomination. You have this high and inordinate opinion of yourself. And Jesus says that everyone who exalts themselves will be humbled. One of my favorite words in the Bible is that three-letter word, B-U-T. Because Luke 14, 11 has that first half that says everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But there's a second half. That is much more encouraging. And it says, He who humbles himself will be exalted. So humble yourself. Admit that you do need God. Admit that you do need Jesus. Admit that you are a sinner, unable to save yourself. Admit that Jesus is the Son of God. Admit that He did die for your sins and He did raise Himself from the grave and thereby conquering your eternal death. Admit that only by accepting Him as Lord of your life and believing that He is who He says He is, will you be forgiven of your sins. And by doing so, you are humbling yourself before God. And as Jesus promises, you will be exalted. Do you know how? What does that look like? You'll be eternally forgiven of your sins. Your relationship with your Creator is restored. And you will spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Not that heaven is the reward so much as it is the restored relationship with Jesus, getting to be with Jesus for eternity is your reward. It's a really simple thing to do, and we're going to do it right now. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, some people call this the prayer of salvation. But truthfully, there's nothing about this prayer that saves you. It's just words. But it's what the words are conveying Belief in your heart, confess by your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. It's simple. It's talking to God like you would talk to someone who knows you really well. My wife knows me. My wife knows me better than anybody else on the face. Yet God knows me better than her. Is talking to is talking to God like that with that kind of closeness and intimacy. Is saying God, I'm that I'm that guy. That's me. I'm that guy. I'm that girl. I'm that person that has been running my own race. I've been running against you in opposition. To you, trying to figure this thing out for myself but I can't anymore I can't keep running and so I am a sinner I confess I am a sinner I do need Christ I do believe that you rose from the dead please forgive me as I submit to your lordship over my life if you pray there's, here's a funny thing about Jesus' lordship Jesus is Lord of all that is, what, even Lord of your life, whether you accept it or not. You accepting Jesus does not make him Lord. He already is Lord. And the best thing that you can do is to get on the right side of that. Because your acceptance of the fact grants you an eternal ticket into paradise and gives you unworldly, godly peace and strength while you live out your life here on earth because your relationship with God who created you is now restored and you get to enjoy that relationship throughout the rest of your life and throughout eternity. It never ends. And Maybe you're here this morning and you've already accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and you've been following Him, but somewhere along the way pride has crept into your heart and gained a foothold. Remember, God calls pride an abomination and that sin needs to be confessed. Now is your chance. Simply confess it to Christ right now. Lord, I have allowed pride to control my heart and to push you and my loved ones away. Please forgive me and remove this sin as far from me as the east is from the west. to you. Amen. As the worship team comes up, I want to ask the, uh, the pastors and the deacons and the leaders, I want to ask you to stand up. Women, too. We have women leaders here, too. Uh, if you just prayed one of those two prayers, there's a next step for you, and it's to talk to somebody. I want you to see who you can talk to. Uh, the people who are standing here serve our church, and we. there's nothing special about us. We have all been there before. We are sinners saved by grace, and we um, have been dealt with by God, and He has worked in our life in such a way uh, that we... Uh, can then be turned around and used to help you and so um, you know look around and see the people that I'm talking about if you are struggling with pride if you are struggling with sin and you have uh, not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior I want you to come out and reach to one of us you can, you can talk to me you can talk to Brother Sam's or any one of us that are standing here uh, and let us pray with you so let's, let's pray and then we'll close it out Dear God, we love you and we thank you for uh, this message. Uh, I thank you for uh, your word. I thank you for um, your providence. Um, And I just pray that you will apply this word to our hearts and allow uh, each of us uh, to be used for your glory. If we have pride in our hearts, if we go so far as to say that we don't need you, I pray that you will show us that we do. And show us and, and convict us of that sin and uh, draw us to you. If we, have, if we are saved and have let pride get, get a foothold elsewhere, I pray that you will remove that. I just ask, Lord, that you will get into each of our hearts and um, draw us closer to you. Kingdom, it's In your name I pray. Amen.